Hello, dental online trainers. This is Dr. Dennis Hartley. Welcome to another episode of DOT Sharecast. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversation. Hello, dental online trainers. Dr. Dennis Hartley with you again for another Sharecast. Thank you for joining us. And today I have a special guest, a really good dear friend of mine. Adamo, and I'm, I'm going to apologize now because I, I, I'm so bad with names, so Adamo, be patient with me here. Uh, no ten, no Tarantonio, no Tarantonio, right? There we go, right? Well executed. D-D-S-F-A-A-C-D, and I think you got some other initials behind your back. So welcome to our Sharecast, Adamo. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. This is great. I, I have a little coffee with me. It's a morning, and uh, my coffee usually goes through all day, so I'm going to sip some like coffee it. as we're chatting. All right, thanks. All right, so for those of you who don't know Adamo, then you're not on social media because Adamo, you are, uh, you're an inspiration to uh, many of us who are also on social media. I'm, I'm a fan of you and your work. And um, so without further ado, I just want to start talking to you about your journey uh, in cosmetic dentistry and just so your journey overall. So uh, if you don't mind, tell me uh, first, how do you get into dentistry? What was that all about? Who oh, that, that's great. I actually have a a really cool intro video I put in, in my lectures uh, and I'll be happy to send it to you. I think you would enjoy it. It's just, you know, me around the office. And I was interviewed by my two friends from Venezuela that I teach photography with. And they asked, why did I become a dentist? And my answer was, I didn't want to be a garbage man. Um, I graduated Cornell in 1996 and my degree was in professional soccer. I really wasn't into school. Um, I played a little ball for about six months after saw my paycheck and realized that I had to do something different because I didn't sign a contract like the major leagues. So it wasn't uh, that profitable as much as I enjoyed it. And uh, it was fun. So I went to work, uh, showed up at my father's office. My dad drove a garbage truck. My mother was a secretary. Uh, they both came from Italy when uh, my dad was 17. My mother was 12. So they didn't go to school. My dad finished fifth grade, I think. Um, and I showed up dressed up and he looked at me and he said, what are you doing? So well, I'm going to work for you. He said, no more school. I said, nah, I think I'm done. I said, okay, you can work for me, but go home and put the crappiest clothes you have on. I'm going to make you wish you never closed a book. Mm-hmm. And he put me on the back of a garbage truck by myself for a year and a half until I got into dental school. And uh, I literally picked up 750 homes a day by myself. I was in much better shape than I am now. I might have to yeah. go back and do it, I think, again. <laughs> I understand. Yeah, um, I get that. But yeah, I honestly, I didn't know much about the dentist. I mean, my parents are both immigrants from another country and I think I went to the dentist twice in my life, uh, which just wasn't a big thing. Um, I had a friend who was my fraternity brother and he had just gotten into NYU. He was a first year and he's like, listen, apply to dental school. And I'm like, Anthony, I don't, at the time, I wouldn't even know what a mirror or an explorer was. I never even been to the dentist. Sure. He's like, don't worry, you'll love it. So I applied and I ended up getting into NYU and Stony Brook and I went to Stony Brook and the rest was history. I was hooked the, the minute I got there. You know, I think a lot of in dentistry, I think we're such an interesting profession because I think there's sort of like two paths that people go going into dentistry. One is you come from a family of dentists or you're influenced by, you know, a strong person or family member that's in dentistry. And then the others, which I think is probably the greater majority is people like you and I. So my dad was uh, um, an auto rat for GM. And I remember I was uh, changing an exhaust system on my sister's Mustang in the winter. And this would have been probably 74, 75. And it was freezing out. We didn't have a garage. We're working in the driveway. It's up on ramps and we're changing the exhaust system. 
I must've been about 14 or 15. Mm -hmm. So it was after that. So we're working, my hands are freezing. It's just, it's, I mean, it's awful outside. And my dad leans over and looks at me as we're underneath the car. And he says, Dan, this is why you're going to dental school. <laughs> I said, yeah, you're right. I will. Exactly. I, I, this is, this is great, but I don't, I, you know, this is hard, you know, and not that dentistry is oh, yeah. not hard. I think dentistry is super hard, but there's, um, you know, that, that was, so I had a sort of a similar experience. Neither my parents also were um, high school graduates and they were, you know, they, they, they had modest backgrounds and stuff. So that's very sure. interesting. Yeah. And uh, sometimes it does feel like we're in the salt mines, but it is, I think what we're doing, we're, we're fortunate that we aren't actually in the salt mines. We're in the mines. I agree. I couldn't agree more. I, I mean, I love those days because I had a six pack like nobody's business, but now uh, I, I don't, you know, I tip my garbage men very well at Christmas yeah. because I know what that work is like. I mean, yes, we work hard and our eyes are strained and our minds are strained, but that physical labor is, I, I've never seen anything like it. it it's really difficult. Yeah. So, well, um, well, dentistry is glad to have you in the profession. So, <laughs> Thank you. So tell me, I always ask this of dentists, what was the first dental procedure that you did? It could have been dental school afterwards. First dental procedure, not including a profi. First dental procedure was an occlusal amalgam on my father. Oh, nice. Great. Yep. Outstanding. How'd it go? I think, well, it's still in his mouth, so he hasn't complained. <laughs> Fantastic. That's great. Does he pay for them now, or does he still get free dentistry? No, he gets free dentistry. That's okay. All right, so you gra what year was your graduation from SUNY? So I graduated uh, 2002. Mm -hmm. uh, I stayed, I did an AEGD residency there, and then I was asked to stay on as chief resident. Uh, so I did a second-year residency there where I was certified to place implants. They certified me in Invisalign. And I actually, I love removable, so I wanted to teach removable. So I worked in the removable uh, course with the faculty there for a year, which I, I thoroughly enjoyed. So then you would have gotten into practice around 2005 or so, is that correct? 2004, July 2004 was my first year in practice. And then how did you get into practice? I think this is interesting for young dentists who are coming out. I think, you know, my experience in talking, and I've been teaching at Marquette for over 25 years, and I think a lot of people's expectations, it's sort of that they will find the perfect practice when they get out of school. Uh, and I tell people that can happen. You know, you can meet your high school sweetheart and marry your high school sweetheart. But most often, many of us have to date for a while before we find the right person. And I think that's true sure. of dental practices. So how did you get into your dental practice? Tell, tell me about your journey. Yeah, so I wasn't uh, looking for my high school sweetheart, but I am one of the ones who got lucky. I was supposed to um, open a practice with my co-chief resident uh, in my hometown, and, and that just didn't work out. We both went different ways, and totally fine. We were the best of friends still, um, but work-wise, we just had maybe different visions. We decided not to do it and maybe not to even risk damaging the friendship that we had because we're like mm -hmm. brothers. Um so he ended up going to work somewhere else. I actually called uh, one of my old professors from dental school who had the IT practice in, in Long Island. He just built from scratch. It was maybe a year old, ground up, beautiful, beautiful office. And I came here one night just a shadow uh, and said, can I just see what it's all about? Because I think I'm going to go on my own back in my hometown, which is about a half hour from my office. And when I came, he sat me in the office. He said, listen, I mean, good luck. I think you're going to do fine, but you want a job. And I was like, you know what, maybe I should work a little before I just go open an office. Mm -hmm. And I started here full time. Uh, he hired me. I was the fifth associate at the time. And uh, I've been here ever since. After about three and a half years, I became a partner. Uh, we ended up taking on another partner and then my original boss partner. Uh, we bought him out and he 
moved down to New Orleans. He'd gotten remarried and and made a change of life. So I have uh, the younger, my younger partner, younger, she's a couple of years younger than me, but mm-hmm. uh, I taught her in dental school and she was a phenomenon back then. So uh, it's just two of us now. We have one associate. My fourth associate had retired during COVID. But yeah, I, I'm lucky. I walked into a fee for service already built. Uh, a lot has changed, I think, with my growth, with my partner's growth as to where it started. But I think overall, the the backbone is is the same. So I really didn't have to do much. So I'm one of the fortunate ones that kind of fell into a great office right out the gate. So I want to go back. You said you were the fifth associate in the practice, meaning that there had been four associates that didn't work out and you were the fifth one, or were there four other associates in the practice when you walked in the door? Yeah, great question. Sorry to clip. I'll clarify that. It was my partner, three associates who worked here. Oh, okay. So there were four doctors and I was the fifth. Okay. Doctor. So, so it was, a, it was a busy practice. There was a lot yeah. of dentistry going on. Yeah. Interesting. How did that work out for, so, so let's say I'm a young dentist and I'm getting into a practice like that where there's other associates. How do you, how do you make yourself stand out from the other associates in the practice? Like you're the new guy in and I'd be concerned joining the practice when there's already several other associates. How am I going to get patients? How am I going to stand out? What did you do? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and you know, it's funny. I get that asked that all the time and People are like, well, what did you do? How did you get so busy? And I think in the beginning, before I knew what continuing education really was, because mm-hmm. out of the gate, I didn't know anything. Sure. Um, I hustled, Dennis. I worked, I mean, I would stay here 12 hours a day, or I would leave and I would go out to restaurants and bars and I'd give away free bleachings and I'd do whatever it took to get someone in the door and see someone with a broken front tooth. I can fix that for you and I'll do it no charge and take a before and after and then start, you know going from there. And, and I, I really did. I probably gave away more dentistry in the beginning than money sure. I made. But I think, you know, there's something to be said about that. There's a, there's a respect, there's a do the right thing um, yep. that I think my patients now still realize. And I still have some of the ones that I, I did that originally too. And they appreciate my growth and, and where I've gone and they have no problem paying now. I mean, it was 15, sure. 16, you know, maybe they didn't have two nickels to rub together right. when I did that for them. So um I think that was big. It, it's it's there really is no secret sauce. It's hard work. I mean, you have to hustle. Well, that's it, hustle. I this is not this is not an indictment on the on the current um, our current generation of of young dentists. This is I think been true since I was a young dentist. Also, I think commonly dentists will go into a practice as an associate and then just wait to get fed. Sure. And just sit there and say, here's my bowl, feed me patients. Yep. Not understanding that if they want to be successful in the practice, they have to go earn it. And I, I hear from all the time from colleagues who have uh, young associates in the practice that the associates aren't uh, helping to build the practice, helping to build their own practice within the, within the practice. Uh, students who I've, who I've worked with, I've, I've tried to influence them that you have to build your practice within that practice. Because it's rare where you're going to walk into a practice where there's a full-time practice just waiting for you. I mean, that's maybe by death or maybe by retirement that will happen. But I think those opportunities are pretty rare. I think you got to hustle and you got to be hungry and you got to build a practice within the practice. Yeah. And I think what they also, they don't realize, they think, I mean, uh, you know, we both have residents, right? And Mm -hmm. my resident is an, an animal. I mean, she works as hard as I do. She's unbelievable. And I mean, I have to beg my patients because I'm so busy to please l- let her see you. 
because yeah. otherwise you're not seeing me for six weeks. I just, I can't do it. And right. that's about the only chance I get that they actually listen. Like I <laughs> have to, I have to call them and say, no, no, you have to just let her do it. I'll be in the next room. And right. you're talking about a, a, a doctor, a resident who's seen a lot more than the average person that just got out of school. Sure. Right? Yeah. So when you don't have any thing to back up i mean you just got to go get it you have to hustle and go get it there's no even if if there was enough patients i mean i'm not going to come to your office and say i'm here to see dr hartley to do a class four or let his resident do it and he's like you crazy no 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 no. i know i know the doctor i know his work and i want him to do it exactly emergencies and so on and so forth they but you're right and and i don't recall I didn't really keep in touch with too many in my dental school after. So I don't know how they were when they first got into practice. Yep. Um, but I don't think as many hustled the way you did when you first started or the way I did when I first started. And, you know, I think it shows, you know. Yeah, I this is challenging. I think one of the concerns for young associates going into practice, they don't want to build up their current dentist practice. It's like, well, what's in it for me? Well, I think what's in it for you is your opportunity to become part of that practice. So if you like that practice, if you say, man, I see myself in this practice, then you got to grow your practice within that practice. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the the senior dentist is going to help by referring emergencies and referring stuff when they're too busy. But boy, um, I cannot impress on my young dentist enough. Be hungry. If you like the practice, build your practice within that practice. Um, People, I think, are too worried about Am I building up this practice? Is it going to cost me more when I buy in? Sure. I think those are issues that those things I believe will, will work themselves out if you're having a good relationship with the uh, owner dentist. Um, I just think you just have to be hungry. Yeah, I agree. I'm super excited to talk to you about the residency stuff. I want to ask you something else first before we sure. start getting into the ACD and the residency. Um, so I know that you're very influenced by Panky and I know you're very influenced by Coice. And so I get this question all the time from my young dentist. I want to get into CE because I really push CE. Um, I had a study group that I worked with for a bunch of years at Marquette. We would meet after hours and we would just go through. Uh, so, so it was like a mini AGD we would do in the evenings. And uh, my, my touch point was always about CE and learning from the best. And I would spell it out. I'd say there's four really principal uh, training programs when you get out, we talk about Spear, Coist, Dawson, and Panky. Those are sort of the four, and there's other good ones out there also. Obviously, the stuff you and Amanda are doing with Impress that I want to talk about in a little bit, and DOT, but those are sort of the four big biggies. So how did you get started with uh, with Dawson? Because I think you did Dawson first, and then you got into Coist later. So how did you get started with Dawson? Yes. That was my influence first also. Um, that's a great question. I um, We had a study group in my office uh, local periodontist, oral surgeon, about three or four general dentists, one who you'll know, Gary Alex. Sure. Yeah, of course. And Gary practices. So he just retired, but he practices a mile from me. And, mm-hmm. um, we were in a study group and I had done a case with my periodontist. So I presented it and he walked up to me after, and he said, you have unbelievable hands, but you know, nothing. So, um, I was like, great. <laughs> awesome. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, he goes, I want you to go to Dawson and learn occlusion. And I'm going to take you to your first AACD meeting. And my first was Atlanta. I want to say it was 2006 or seven, something mm-hmm. around there. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so even before that, I'd done Dawson in like a year, year and a half. I, I just went turbo straight through. Um, and I would go to Gary's office like every week with a case, mounted models. And I mean, he was my the my first and original mentor was without question Gary. I mean, he really pushed me. He, he helped me with anything I wanted to do. It wasn't competition being that we're a mile away. He'd refer me patients. I mean, I was like, wow, I mean, that's, that's pretty humbling. 
Um, so that's how I got started with Dawson. And then um, another guy in our study group was doing COIS. My partner had gone out to COIS. She loved it. So I said, you know what? I was flying out to Hawaii to take my written exam for ACD. And it just worked out that there was uh, treatment planning one for COIS the weekend before. So I made a West Coast trip. I went and then three days with John, I was, I was hooked. I couldn't wait to, to go forward. I didn't rush through it. It's a lot. Yeah, sure. You no, know, it's not financially a lot, and it, it's time consuming and and a lot of information. So it took me about five, six years to finish the curriculum. I didn't do it as fast as I did Dawson, but um, yeah, I, I was pretty blown away the first time I I met John and heard John speak, and and I've been that way ever since. What do you say to young dentists that say I can't really afford to do the continuing education? And look, I mean, one of the reasons why I started DOT was because I heard that frequently and I wanted to offer very sure. affordable um, courses where people wouldn't have to leave their home, where people could do it without the cost of travel, without shutting down their practice, uh, leaving their families and all. But I do think there's a, a critical place for these in-person uh, programs. So, but what would you say to people who say, I, well, I can't really afford it? What, what, what do you say to them? You know, it's funny. I always hear Amanda, we get that question a lot in our courses. Sure. One of the things she tells the young dentist is like she, you know, her husband's very good financially and, and in business and they check their budget and she took a loan out to be able to do the CE that she wanted to do, knowing where she wanted to end up, which I think is a brilliant option. You know, you have a budget every year you can spend this and you, you choose where you want to go. Now, a lot of the young people that ask questions and I see on social media. And, and to me, it's a huge problem with social media and Instagram is they want it done so fast. It's like you see the before and after, but you didn't really, you don't remember or you don't even know what went into that process and, and the thought process and the treatment plan and the, the history. And you see a beautiful before and after. And these guys, I mean, the messages, what camera do you use? What composite do you use? I'm like, do you know how many class fours I had to do to be able to do it at the level that we do it now, right? I mean- Sure, absolutely. Unbelievable. So you don't have to finish course in one year. You don't have to finish course in two years. You could take right. one course course a year for eight years and really implement it slowly and then do some online stuff if traveling's a lot. But you can figure out your budget every year, whether you have the money or you borrow the money, you're yep. you're investing in yourself. To me, there's no better investment. I'm gonna gamble on me every day before I gamble on anybody else. So I think what Amanda did was brilliant. I mean, she, she, she saw her end goal. Mm -hmm. She knew year by year, this is what I can afford if I take a yep. loan and do it, and she did it. And, uh, you know, I just, at the time I was young, I'm single, so mm -hmm. I, I didn't really have any financial other responsibilities, so I invested in myself professionally, and, and it was a good time for me to do it. Yeah, I think that's a real challenge. I, we get out of dental school, and we believe that dental school should have set us up for our lifetime of learning. And so that's what I've worked so hard for for all these years is to help these students understand. It's just beginning to help us learn, to become us, to help us understand how to learn. So when my I started out with Spear, that was my very first thing. And I remember it took me a full year to pay off. And this would be this was after Frank and John had sort of split off. And I was mm -hmm. in Frank's first course in his office in Seattle. Um, Bob Winter was there and there was 10 of us around this big conference table. It literally took me a year to pay that off my credit card. But that was sort of, I knew I had to do it and I knew I was going it, to, it's, you know, it's not easy. It's not inexpensive. There's a little bit of pain involved, but you know, like most things uh, like working out, uh, pain's part of the process. hundred percent. Yeah. And I appreciated it. I mean, I look back at that course and how it 
influence my thinking and my learning. And I remember how much that cost. And I remember those payments on the credit card. Oh, yeah. But it was worth every penny. And sure. that's sort of how I took it. And I had a very humble, very modest practice when I started out. I didn't make much money at all. And it, we just had to scratch and claw. And, you know, it, it was, I, I knew the end game. And that, for me, was this is where I want to get to. And this is the pain points I'm going to have to go through to get there. When you, when you started with Coice, you had a, you, so you had your foundation with Dawson, right? So you, you had an understanding of joint-based dentistry, sure. which many of us don't have when we get out of dental school. We just think about teeth. So where did Coice play into that then? So you had sort of this joint-based dentistry. Did Coice sort of reaffirm that? And I know John's really great at helping understand how to make dentistry more predictable. Where, where, what path did Coice set you down that you were not, that sort of added to your experience from Dawson? So, yeah, that's a great question. I think I got probably one of the most comprehensive joint-based dentistry educations you're going to get at Dawson. I mean, it was just outstanding. It was all focused on that. And, you know, I know the curriculum's changed a little now, but um, I, when I got to course, for me, it was more understanding the systems of everything else, right? right. I, I, I thought I was pretty solid in the joint-based area mm -hmm. and I was comfortable that way. You know, the way he looks at it and treatment plans it and, and some of the steps to get there are different. Right. which I really, I like, and I do sure. that now, but I think overall the concept, I mean, not many teach it better than Dawson did. So right. I was good with that, but I think, you know, reviewing his dental history and seeing how just off of that, he already knows, are we looking at joint issues or not? Mm -hmm. And in, implementing that, the perio in my practice, I mean, all my hygienists are, two of them have gone to course already. My partner's a graduate, my associate's going. So it's been, I think more implementing that and getting systems in the office, which really took us to another level, in my opinion, in that yep. sense. But in terms of the the joint base, I, I think, I mean, I was very well trained at Dawson. So I had a leg up on anyone who didn't take it yeah. when they got to, to course. And that's been my um, my recommendations for, for dentists who are getting into this stuff. I say, my personal opinion is start with Dawson or Pankey. Get a good joint-based inclusion yes. understanding. Though I know um, Jim McKee, my good friend, who I interviewed previously, he's at Spear now. So Spear is really jumping into sure. joint-based. I imagine Coyce is also doing more joint-based uh, um, information as well. But before getting into any of the aesthetic stuff, understand joint-based dentistry because it's going to make your aesthetic stuff so much more successful and all that yeah. stuff. And again, Dennis, that goes right back to Instagram, right? You know, you see these before and afters that look great. And then you're like, there's no possible way you're getting from that class three to a class one without giving me some good explanation of how you did that. Because right. we know functionally it'll look good in a picture on Instagram, but I'd like to see that in a year or two. With maintaining. Exactly. Yeah. And that's a part of my CPR for the Warren Dentition course. We go through so much of that. How do you support the bite so you can do the aesthetics? And that's, uh, I, and now I got that from combination Dawson and Spear, right? Sort of putting those two pieces. Yes, exactly. But I think for like you talk about with Coice, with systems, I don't know anyone does it better than Coice. Then John, I think, understands systems and he teaches systems probably better than anybody out there. So yeah, I hear that from everybody and the stuff that I've learned from John. I agree yeah. with that. That's awesome. Uh, I want to talk about the AACD now because you mentioned that you went uh, your first courses then were Dawson and AACD. So how, who brought you out to AACD? Gary Alex. Gary did. So yeah. what was your thoughts when you first went to your first AACD meeting? I was blown away. Uh, I was almost, I think I was either done or had one Dawson course left. There was a panel with 
I believe it was Bill Dickerson, Pete Dawson. I forget who the other two, but it was an occlusion panel. And I was in the back of the room like, wow. But what really got me was the accreditation showcase photos in the in the, uh, the lobby. The lobby. When mm -hmm. I saw these before and afters, I remember looking at them going, I hope I do dentistry half that good one day. Sure. Yep. Um, and I was blown away. Gary was the only accredited person in my county for mm -hmm. 20 years. Yeah. Um, obviously, he said the test was a bit different then than it is now. Sure. But uh, that I remember looking at those big cardboard cutouts that they give us when we finish. And I was like, wow, that's. I mean, I thought I had a pretty good young aesthetic eye uh, at that point. I mean, I loved staining and glazing in dental school. I stained everybody's crowns. I was just into the art side of it. But mm -hmm. when I saw that stuff, I was like, this is another level and I need to get there. Young dentists that are, are maybe they've heard about the AACD, but again, the AACD is not inexpensive, right? To go to the annual meeting, it's, no. uh, it's you, you have to you have to absorb the fact you have to just be comfortable with the fact that you have to invest in yourself. Like you said, I'd rather bet on myself than anybody else. So it's, it's not inexpensive, but there's so much value in these meetings. What do you tell to young? I'm sure you must hear that from when through your teachings, it's like Adamo, I just can't afford to go to the AECD. How do you respond to that? Well, you know, in a polite manner, I, I kind of try to tell them, listen, what's your end goal? Where do you want to be? If you yep. were telling me you want to be the next Amanda C or you want to be the next Betsy Bakeman or Dennis Hartley or anybody on that level, if you don't invest now, you're going to get caught up in a pattern and you're never going to get out of it. You're going to right. be making a few bucks doing posterior fillings or stuff like that. And it's never going to change. And you're going to be the guy or the gal that says, I don't really love my career in 10, 15 years. I mean, we've been doing this quite some time and I, I see you not slowing down and I know I'm not. And it's because we lit a fire within us that not only do we still want to get better every day at what we do, but we want to help people get better. And I'm, I think that's the ultimate goal of the perfect profession. I mean, we don't love dentistry every day, right? We have no, our patients that bother us. But I think at the end of every day, I'm blessed yes. that not only I get to help people yep. and I get to educate others to be better. I mean, I wouldn't change this for the world. Um, so I tell them, if, if listen, if if you really have those aspirations, you got to work harder than you ever possibly could. Because you have the word, the letters DR in front of your name doesn't mean anybody hands anything to you. And I, I think that's, that's a good big, point. Big, big problem is, oh, I'm a doctor. I'm out of school. I want to make 150K, 150K. You know how many posterior composites you're doing to catch the production to do that to start? Yeah. But I mean, when you started in practice, as did I, what did we do? Fillings, a couple bleachings. Sure. We look at our schedule now. There's not many one-hour appointments. They're four-hour. They're five-hour. It's bigger. But the education, the time, the practice that we put in over the years to see our schedule like that, I mean, it, nobody just handed that to us. And and it doesn't come without time investment and financial investment. 100%. Right? One of the things that impressed me about the ACD, I've been in since 97, I think. Uh, what impressed me about it? So I'm used to going to, say, the Chicago Midwinter Meeting, uh, the Greater New York Dental Meeting, sort of these big sort of regional meetings, city meetings. The energy at those meetings are so different than when you walk into an AACD meeting. The energy is incredible. 
what I also found with the ACD is I could be sitting down at the bar just grabbing a beer and the person next to me, we could just start talking. They could be from Vancouver, Washington, mm-hmm. and we could just have a conversation and people shared. People would just talk about what's going on in their practice. They'd ask you questions. We'd share information, what materials are you using, what techniques are you using, who'd you see, who's really good, who should I see? And there wasn't like this, uh, like you talked about Gary Alex being open to um, working with you, even though you were a mile away. I felt in the AACD that people are just so giving and generous that yeah. that there is the, there's a very little um, concern about not about scarcity issues in dentistry. People in the AACD they know there's more dentistry than we can treat with our hands, and if there's somebody next door that can also do this, there's more patients than we can treat in our populations, and we can both be successful. Where I don't see that same sort of energy when I'm at these bigger meetings and stuff like that. Yeah. And so I think it's a great influence meeting for people who uh, want to get into this. They can share, they can be uh, influenced by other people who are doing the same thing that we are. Yeah. And I think another thing that sets the academy apart uh, are, are the hands-on courses. I exactly. Mean, and I tell people that too. You know, you're gung-ho ready to go Monday morning. And, you know, you're right. I mean, everybody is helpful. Like most people that are play a bigger role in the academy are also educators, right? So. Yeah we want to give, you know, we want to right. give back. And I mean, you can talk about bumping into the bar. I remember San Francisco, I'm sitting at the bar, this guy comes up next to me and I saw the badge. So I figured and I was about to turn around and say, before I could say hello, he's like, how are you? Nice to meet you. And I'm like, Christian coachman just turned around and said hi to me. And I was right. like, starstruck. <laughs> I wanted his autograph, the most humble, nicest. We, he had a drink with me for 25 minutes. Didn't know me from a hole in the wall. I had no right. idea it was even part of the academy. I mean, it was just amazing. Totally yeah. amazing. Yeah. And for young dentists who are, I mean, we've all been awestruck. I was like that. I remember going to the first meetings. I remember going to Restorative Academy, being blown away by people. I think at this meeting in particular, people are just so open and friendly and people just want to be warm and and welcoming. So, yeah. Uh, You you started out with your, how you're influenced with the accreditation process. Talk to me about your accreditation process for dentists who are on the fence about this. I got two questions for you. First is if you're eager to get into accreditation, what do they need to know? That's a great question. So uh, the website has a lot of good uh, resources and you can download stuff. I mean, I always find that I'm very open. I answer a ton of questions on social media. So I will obviously anyone could contact me and ask me and I'd love to guide them. If you call the Academy, the girls that are in the accreditation department, Kim and Lisa are outstanding and they'll get you everything you need. Um, To me, I'll be honest. I mean, I know you've taken probably more CE than I have um, and we've gone to the best of the best in terms of training your aesthetic eye. I don't think I've ever been to a course, mine included, um, that you get that real time on your patients. If you work with the right mentor, and I owe my aesthetic eye to my mentor, Brad Olson, who was unbelievable. I learned more from the emails back and forth of sending my, my PowerPoint template to him and looking at cases and him saying, look at the line angle here, the gingival height discrepancy, the values in the, in the cervical third. And I'm like, I just, I matched them. Isn't that all I have to do? They were pretty good. But you know, as the first email he sent me back was four miles long when I thought I was going to pass a case type two with eight, nine on my hygienist because the shade was tough, but I forgot about the other 85 things that were wrong with them. Um, But I learned more on that one email because I, I, I listened to him as how he wanted to mentor me. 
and every email got a little shorter because my eye got a little better and I yep. knew before I wrote it back, all right, Brad, I like this case, but I think the axial inclination's off and maybe the value is a little different. I don't think it's gonna pass, but I think I did good. And he's like, all right, you're learning. That's, but now yeah. I look at a case and I mean, you know, as an examiner, you could, you in two seconds, you're seeing things that most people wouldn't even dream of looking at. So I personally believe that, yes, it's a great process. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's awesome to get that medal. That's a fun week at the, yep. at the annual meeting. Sure and that I learn aesthetics like I think no other going through that process with an unbelievable mentor. I don't know if you could pay that because I, I don't think you, you can get that close to one on one as you do with a with a candidate mentor. Good communication. Yeah, I agree. The, the two things I, I try to stress to people when they're looking at accreditation is one uh, mentorship. I think is absolutely critical. And the second thing is there's, you have to lose your bias. And one of the biggest challenges I've had when I've uh, been mentoring people through the accreditation process is getting them off their bias. All right, they, they come in and they think, well, this is a case that's gonna pass. And then you have the hard conversation and you go through all the bullet points, right? This is a minus two on this, minus four on this. This is what, what I'm seeing. And when people are, are not open to changing their biases on how they're looking at their cases, it can be a real challenge to help them want, understand what needs to be done to get better. And so those are the two things I talk about, mentorship and just losing your bias. Understand that what you're seeing is great, but it's not enough. And unfortunately, you have to kind of hear the hard news of what needs to be done to make it better. And that's really challenging for, it's, it's challenging for all of us, but yeah, in particular, some people aren't ready for it. Mm -hmm. and, and you know, it's funny because I've had both sides of the coin where I've had uh, one, one mentee in particular sticks out in mind, a, a gal from the West Coast. And I, let's say, in the year she sent me 10 cases to evaluate and i did exactly what brad told the way he did it to me and when i said i if it was me i wouldn't do it she didn't do it she went five for five in two submissions because she could do it but she also showed me five or six that weren't on par but she listened mm -hmm. and she started to understand and she then started okay i'm going to change this for the next case and then i you know i have others that you're right. They they have their bias. They don't believe exactly what you're telling them. And I get it. It's hard. It's a hard pill to swallow. It is. But yeah. We're not. I don't mentor people and give them deductions because I'm trying to make them feel bad. I'm trying to get you to see things you may not have seen and and train you better and better and better. I, I took every hit and I sent Brad way more than five cases. Um, and he sent plenty of them back where I was humble pie for the next two or three days, but yeah. man, did I learn from those? It was, it, I think it's an unbelievable process. It's, it's hard work for sure. Um, but it's, it's rewarding both in the fact that you achieve an awesome goal, but I think the learning people overlook how much you actually learn, how, how much better your eye gets, how much better you get with composite doing case type five. Yeah. I mean, how many type of teeth can we do to do that right. case? That's a whole different world, right? That's been a, a challenge for my resident to understand. Satyam's awesome, but it's like, dude, keep on going back. It's not, uh -huh. you know, and he's done. I, I don't know how many cases he has built up on, on Typodonts. It's a ton and he's still not done. And uh, I warned him when he came in that he'd be doing a lot of work on Typodonts. He didn't have any understanding of how much he'd work and be working on Typodonts. <laughs> yeah, I tried to spell it out, but it's uh, different when you're actually doing it over and over and over. Yeah. I, I, I was remiss in mentioning that you're head of the accreditation process currently yes, for the, the current accreditation chairman. 
Yeah. So that's, that's incredible. I cannot imagine the time you put into that. That's a whole nother issue. The amount of time that you have donated to the AACD through the board and through the, what you're doing now with the accreditation process. What I've tried to help people understand is how, in my experience of being in a, an examiner, how much we want as examiners to get people to pass. Oh yeah. And when I was on the outside looking in, I thought it was just the opposite, that the ACD is trying to keep us from being accredited. But I will tell you, in all in the cases that I've been involved in through accreditation, we are actively trying to find ways to help these participants pass. Talk a little bit about that as the accreditation head and what that all means. Yeah, you know, and I agree with you, Dennis. I thought the same thing from looking out in. I'm like, you know, I, I remember my, again, I, I harp back to my first case with Brad and the the PS on the bottom said 97% of dentists would kill to do work like this, keep it up. And I was like, but wait a minute. He said, Adamo, there's great dentistry. Then there's accreditation dentistry. It's just, a, it's this much above it, but it's doable. There's a zone of, it's not a, a, an ultimate pinnacle. There's a zone. It doesn't have to be perfect, right. but it has to be within the zone. And I think I, would, I was frustrated because I'm like, no, but they don't want us to pass. They want it to be elite. The, it's the exact you said it perfect. That's the farthest thing from the truth. I mean, we want 20,000 accredited dentists, right? 450, but we would take 450,000 if people delivered in that zone of excellence. And you know, we, you, you see how we're calibrated and how we're trained and it's incredible. incredible. People have no understanding. I I had no idea. It's Mm -hmm. incredible. I'm blown away. I can't talk enough positive about the accreditation process. It's incredible. Yeah, but we and we want people to pass, but we also take pride in the fact that if we're giving out an accreditation in cosmetic dentistry, we want you to you to feel and your patient to feel like they're getting the best from the best, right? Yep. And it's just not something we just hand out because you sent me one before and after. I mean, it you know the process; it's a process, and it's passable for anyone. If you work hard enough, anybody could do it. The ones that stop, I think, and they give up, I. I I would do anything to get them back on the train because I don't think they realize how rewarding it is and how much better of a dentist they're going to be by finishing the process. Um, but yeah, it, 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 you're hundred percent right. It, it, this is not about keeping it elite. This is not about not getting people accredited. The more, the merrier. Believe yep. me, we want it. We do yes. um, because we want the pride of the Academy. We, we trust and believe in our process. Mm-hmm. Those of us have seen it from the inside, know how hard, and how much work we put in and how fair we try to be yeah. um, towards it. But, you know, it's a, it's an exam. Not all exams are perfectly fair, but I think we do a pretty good job of, of keeping it fair and giving everybody a fair chance if they if they follow suit to pass. I, I, I firmly believe that. It's hard. It's a hard exam to get through all five cases. It is, uh, it's a challenge. It was a challenge for me. It's a challenge for everybody I've spoken to. So, uh I asked, I said, there's two questions. The first is for the dentist who's eager to do be involved in the accreditation process. What about the ones who are fearful? You know, how do you, how do you communicate with the young dentist or even experienced dentist that says, you know, I want to do it, but I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready to go through this process. Any words of encouragement? What do you, what do you say for the people who are fearful about it? Yeah, you know, we, Amanda and I, when we lecture, I, I usually start the intro and I try to do something a little motivational, talk about a book that I read or, or my life story. And, and I mean, I, I couldn't be a more picture perfect tale as were you. I mean, we had no background in dentistry, right? right? Yep. I, they didn't teach us cosmetics in dental school. <laughs> no. What did we do? We saw, we sought 
education from the best. And we probably have done more plastic teeth than most people have done real teeth in their lives. And I, and I sure. say that in the class every time. There's nothing that any dentist on this planet can't do that I do. It's a question of, are you going to put in the work? Do you want to work hard? And do you believe in yourself? Because if you do, you can do dentistry just as good as I do. I mean, sure. and better. beautiful veneers, of course I do. But you forget that I sought after an unbelievable ceramist that I work amazing with. And it's a teamwork. It's not just me, you know, and do I do good composites? I think so. But again, I did a hundred class fours on a plastic tooth after I left Newton Falls course at AACD or uh, Brian Lesage and Frank Milner's case type five course. I went home and I practiced on plastic teeth. Right. You know, and I think that's what people overlook now in, in this age where you can touch everything on your phone and you get a, an answer in two seconds. They want to be great dentists in two seconds. It's never going to happen. No, no I, I, I like pointing out that you think about someone like Tiger Woods or any, uh, any professional golfer, they all have coaches, right? They're, they're out there practicing. It's not like, uh, you know, professional golfer, professional pitcher, or professional football player, any, anyone who is a professional, they don't just go out on game day and expect to just be able to, to nail it. They, no. they are practicing, they're being coached, they're working hard. Dentistry's tough stuff, man. I, I tell you, no one, no one that I know was born with a dental drill in their hand or an artist brush and knew how to do it from day one. We've all had to learn. And for some of us, it's easier. For some of us, it's more challenging. For me, it was super challenging to learn all this stuff. Yeah. Uh, and like you said, I've done more plastic teeth than people, than most dentists have done human teeth. That's a, that's I, a great point. I don't doubt that for one second. I, I honestly don't. And yeah. that's what it takes. Yep. No, it's funny. You mentioned Tiger Woods in, in one of the, these books that I always put a hashtag talent is overrated. And they talk about Tiger in the book. And one of the lines that fascinated me was they said, by the time he was 12, he hit more golf balls than the average pro does by the time they're 30. Oh, no kidding. I mean, that's insanity. That is. You know, but and you wonder why. Why was he that good? He outworked everybody. That's it. That's it. Yep. Talent's important, but talent is outdone by outwork. A hundred percent. What do you see in the future for the cosmetic dentistry associate, cosmetic dentistry and the AACD? What's the future going on? You know, I, I do see a positive future. I, I definitely think it's going to grow. It's funny. One of the, one of the things I noticed during this pandemic was a, a little rise in cosmetic dentistry in my office. And I was surprised. Okay. And the answer was, I see myself on Zoom all day and realize how bad my teeth were. Yeah, so, right. I mean, I guess we got something positive out of there. I mean, so as as time goes on, you know, people want to be healthier. People want to look better. They want to look younger. I, I don't see cosmetic dentistry going anywhere. And I hope that the academy continues on, on a positive path that it has and is able to deliver education to develop people that can give the public what they need. Now, I'm not a big fan of the fact that anybody could put cosmetic dentist on their sign because I think there's a huge difference between someone going to your office and somebody down the street. Not saying that they're not a good dentist. I'm sure they right. are. But to be trained at the highest level of cosmetics takes a lot of effort and time, which you've done. So there's no way anyone's going to tell me that the fact that your sign says cosmetic dentist and the guy down the street says it, you're, you're not trained the same. And and the public doesn't know that. that that's kind of sad to me. Right. Um, I hope that that is somewhere we go. Mm -hmm. I hope that that, that train, we, we finally can put the rest at some point in the future. I would obviously be a huge advocate of that because I believe that uh, the public deserves it. You know, you're not yep. just going to any doctor for plastic surgery, you're doing your research, they have credentials and there's guidelines. And I think that's needed in cosmetic dentistry as well. So 
I think the future is going to be bright. I think, you know, the world always is going to want to look better and look younger. And, and uh, but I do, I would love to see it um, a little more controlled so that the public gets what they deserve. And, you know. Well, it's like this. And obviously all of us can do Invisalign in our practice. All of us can do ortho in our practice. And I know some general dentists who do beautiful ortho. And that's great. And you can build your practice through that. But there are orthodontists. And so for the lay person who's going into it, they can say, if I, if I want the perfectly trained person or the more experienced trained person, then I'm going to find someone who's board certified orthodontist. Now, if you have a relationship and you've seen cases from someone who's doing some beautiful ortho, even though they're not an orthodontist, that's great. But it, there would be some value in saying, hey, this is someone who is, has gone through a process. They are doing you know, great cosmetic dentistry. They are accredited or they're whatever as cosmetic dentists. It isn't, doesn't mean that the other dentist can't do awesome dentistry. Yeah, exactly. Right? But it does, for those who are out there looking, it does help sort of lay the groundwork on that there, this isn't just something that you should be dabbling in. And for those who decide not to go through whatever process, they can still do great cosmetic dentistry and they can build a great practice that way. But I do agree with you. It would be nice to have some sort of delineation to to help the the lay person figure out what to do. I want to talk briefly about the residency program. Uh, So fill me in on how it's been with your resident. Talk, Talk a little bit about if someone was looking to become a resident in the AACD, what does it look like? Uh, what are your experiences as a as a mentor through the through the residency program? Yeah, you know, I um, I was one of the first on the bandwagon, and, and I saw a, a positive opportunity. I thought, you know, as someone like you who loves to educate, I mean, it's it's health and education every day. Um, if somebody would have told me that I could follow Pete Dawson every day for two years, right. I would probably have paid him instead of getting paid whatever little that the resident gets paid or Gary Alex or any of my other mentors. Um, I think it's priceless to be honest. Um, the work that we give them, you know, on type and so on and so forth is great, but I think the chair side clinical, them watching us do cases, how we handle when the problem comes up, seeing us interact with staff and patients. Those are all things we never learn in school. Correct. Right. So the business side of it, I think, is is an added bonus that I don't even think they realized they were going to get. I agree. Uh, but I mean, my resident is I'm so, so blessed. I mean, this kid works so hard. I mean, she helps with our courses with Amanda. She is here and she does a ACD photo series on one of my staff every day. She has for literally a year. She documents she I mean, her photography skills have gotten incredible. She's making videos now for the Academy for promo. I mean, she's just a, just a sponge and she wants it all. I mean, she practices. The other day I walked by an operatory and I was like, what? It looked like Hollywood film studio. She had two video cameras, a ring. I'm like, what are you doing? She's like, well, I'm going to practice a class four and I'm going to film it for clinician's choice because they sent me the their hands-on live box. And I'm like, she was in there for three hours. Yeah cutting it off and practicing and and come in, doc, can you look at this? Yes. Devin, what do you see? I don't like the line angle. You're right. Also look at this. And then she would cut it off and she'd do it again. So I think not only the education dental wise that she's getting the exposure, the cases she's seeing, um, I think also the business side and and handling day to day is huge. Yes. I think it looks easy on the outside. I think what that's one of the things uh, Satyam has appreciated is the challenges of running a practice uh, especially we've had major issues post COVID and in, in rebuilding our team 
And I don't think he had any appreciation for that. Sure. I'm, I've been doing this for 30 some years and we're still rebuilding our team and getting the awesome team that we want to have. And I don't think from the outside, you can appreciate that being inside and seeing the interview process and having new team members come in that have failed and having to make you know difficult decisions and some easy, some, some difficult. Uh, I think that's been something that he was not anticipating. So that's, uh, I would agree with you hundred percent. All right, Adamo, I want to uh, talk about two or a few more things before we finish sure. up. Number one, I want to know how you got interested in dental photography. Where did that come from? Because I know that's something that's a true love of yours. I see the image behind yours that I'm assuming that you took. That would be an yeah, image behind that's you. That's actually a pretty fascinating piece of artwork that my patient made for me. It's actually, it's three-dimensional and it's stitched. So she oh, took no the photo. It's unbelievable. I mean, it's, I can't even, it doesn't, no justice behind me. But yeah, that was one of the first... Uh, artistic photos when I got into lip art a few years mm -hmm. back. But um, so I was an anti-social media guy. I hated social media. I had nothing. Mm -hmm. um, and about four or five years ago, my IT guy was like, Adama, you have to do something. I'm like, I don't want to do it. Here's my password. You do it. And my former assistant was like, Doc, why don't you do Instagram? And I'm like, what's Instagram? Right. Like, oh, put up like a before and after and write a little whatever. Mm -hmm. So people started following and following back and I got into it and I was just doing your basic, I mean, I knew how to take solid office photos like ACD photos, but I had no idea on the artistic side. And I kept seeing these images from two guys from Venezuela and I was like, I, how do you do that? Mm -hmm. They weren't artsy, they were just, it was stunning photography. Mm -hmm. You know, a little art, but nothing crazy. So I messaged them and I said, I don't care what it costs. I'm flying you both to New York. You can stay in my home. I want you in my office for two days. I'll pay whatever. I don't care, but I need to learn how to do that. And they came. We became instant friends. Um, they're like Who my brothers. Uh, the, one is Jesus Ostos, and the other is Eduardo de Aguiar. They're both from Venezuela. Um, they had they have a course worldwide called When the Pictures Really Matter, and I teach with them in the states uh, or anywhere that's English speaking. They do mm -hmm. a lot of in in South America and so on and so forth. Um, so they flew to my office. Um, we were in my office for two days after about 30 minutes, I was mesmerized. I was hooked and I didn't put my camera down ever since. And literally like uh, two weeks later, they messaged me and they're like, I don't know what you ate in the last two weeks, but your photos went from good to outstanding mm -hmm. and we want you to teach with us. So it was at that point I started getting into the lip stuff and I started playing around with lip art. I was probably one of the first to start doing it. Um, but I was hooked. I've been ever since. I'm, I, I love it. I mean, I think one of the thing, the messages that is overlooked is people see the lip art and all the artistic stuff I put on Instagram, but they don't see the other 3000 pictures I take every day for right. clinical practice, right? The importance yep. of cameras, not for putting a flower in someone's mouth and taking a picture that's art and that's fun. And that's great to be expressive, but I mean, I know you would say the same thing. I can't practice without a digital camera. I mean, oh, no way. Communication, patient communication. It, it, it's, it's essential. I think not only did it bring out an artistic side of me, but it really, really stressed the importance of how important a camera is in day-to-day -day life. And, and now with free, free marketing, basically, uh, I mean, I built my lecture circuit and, and, and everything off of Instagram. I mean, I don't right. advertise anywhere. It's just from my own photos and, and publicity. Yep. So I like to cycle. And when people ask about photography and getting into this lip art, this super fancy photography, 
I say, you know, when I started cycling, if I would have clipped in on my first bike when I was five years old, I would have never ridden a bike again. Yep. Uh, so I'm very, I'm, I believe very strongly that you need to have some very good, strong, basic photography skills yep. before you start clipping in and you want to get on a road bike and be riding in traffic. So what's, what's your advice for someone for getting into the basic photography? How, where do you go for that? I mean, we have a really great course on DOT. Uh, my partner, Chris Ching, did a really beautiful uh -huh. course, introductory course. If you want to do live stuff, what do you, where do you go? What's a great live course? What, what advice would you give for dentists who want to get into photography at the basic level? I don't want to be biased and say that Amanda and I have a really good photography. Oh, that's course. great. I, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm happy to I mean, hear that. I have a, a two-day photography course. Um, and honestly, you know, people think like, oh, it's a two-day, we're going to do artsy. And it, it's really not. Um, it's very basic in the morning. I mean, we go through maybe three hours of taking just accreditation views, just your simple retracted smiles and, and how to use a camera and with a ring and a twin flash, no fancy lighting. Mm -hmm. um, so we'd spend time with that, a ton of time on lab communication. Mm -hmm. uh, we do do some artsy stuff, don't get me wrong, and portraits mm -hmm. and how to market yourself. But um, in a two-day course, I mean, I think you get all the basics there. Um, I mean, let's see, Miguel Ortiz has an online photography course. He's fantastic with a camera. Uh, my boys, when the pictures really matter, when they're in the US, again, we do good solid morning of, of basic camera setup and function. So there are some really good uh, hands-on stuff out there. Um, I mean, even the, the course that Brett Magnuson does at AECD for right. accreditation. That's you're at the meeting. That's a great basic because he really, he keeps it really simple yep. uh, and teaches you how to take those 12 views, which I take more shots like that than I do lip art any day of the week. I mean, that's our everyday bread and butter. So yep. I think one of the big things for people to understand and what I've tried to help people understand is that you have to practice photography, learn the basic skills, but you have to shoot thousands of photos to mm -hmm. be able to understand camera angle, cropping, proper vectoring. That is just practice, 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 looking at your photos, critiquing your photos and reshooting. And that's been something I think people don't understand. I think they just take a photography course and they're going to come out and they're going to be right great at it. And I, I, in my experience, I started shooting photos back in, boy, Yushika I won, Dental I won back in 91, I'm thinking. And it just took years to understand how to, how to create the uh, proper photographs. Yeah. I mean, it, and it goes back to, for example, let's say I, I signed up for your composite course on, on your online stuff and right. sent me the material and I did one class for it and I'm like, great, I have nine patients next week. I'm an idiot if I actually think that I'm going to get right. those nine patients right. Now, I'm going to take your type of tooth out. And the way that I'm going to get good is I'm going to cut it off again and do it for 30 days straight and right. then maybe try a patient. Like right. you said, the education we offer is, I think, great. But it's what you, and I say this in every class. We just had a class four composite course live in Charleston last weekend. And we show them four different techniques to build up a class four. Mm -hmm. I said, guys, you're going to learn more about composite and color right now than you did in all of dental school. However, if you don't go back Monday and take a plastic tooth and do it, you just wasted all the money you spent on this course because don't try to do it in the mouth in three weeks. You have to do one a day. Take 30 minutes, build it up, even if it's just a shape. So you start to get the shape, then start playing around with colors and layers. But if you put it down, like if you take our photography course and you don't go back Monday and take an AECD series on your hy hygienist or assistant, you're never going to remember a thing, how to nope. frame, 
how to crop, how to angle, what's your distance of magnification? Done. You gotta and practice. The money. Practice, you practice, 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 practice. For some reason in dentistry, we're, we're taught that we learn it once, we do it once, and then we're proficient at it once. And I don't understand that. I, I've had to, in my career, any, any technique that I've done, I've had to go back and practice, 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 practice to start to get some mastery of the technique. Mm -hmm. So thank you for sharing that because I agree 100%. Awesome. Uh, that leads me into, before we talk about impress, I want to talk about the rubber dam because <laughs> it's, it's sort of a, it, it has become a, it was a dirty word in dentistry when you got out of dental school. No one would talk about a rubber dam. No one wanted to, if they used a rubber dam, no one would admit they used a rubber dam. Yeah. The rubber dam's becoming a little sexy lately. People are taking great photographs or really demonstrating great quality use of a rubber dam. So were you, in, were you someone who came out of dental school still using a rubber dam? Did you put it down and come back to it? A lot of people stopped using face bows. A lot of people stopped, stopped using rubber dams. Talk to me about rubber dams. Yeah, I, I was definitely not one to put it down. I always loved using a rubber dam. And then the reason I loved using a rubber dam was the first time I used one on my dad, he said, don't ever do dental work on me without that thing on because he oh, how interesting. so I was like, now I didn't isolate the way I do now. Um, sure. I obviously learned new techniques and different dams. I didn't even know that there were different thickness. I didn't know anything, uh, but I always, always, always used uh, a rubber dam. Probably, probably not as well sealed as I thought it was, mm -hmm. uh, but I gave the effort, right? Mm -hmm. I, I definitely didn't put it down, but now, yeah, I mean, there are some outstanding isolations on social media that you see and you're like, wow, you know, it, it takes a little bit of time. Um, I learned from uh, a phenomenal dentist, Victor Guerrero. He's outstanding, Victor, with the rubber dam. And I had flown to Chicago, actually, at Bisco. Mm -hmm. um, he was doing a course in Spanish, and I, I know Rolando from Bisco very well. So Rolando talked him into sitting with me for a couple hours. It ended up being like two hours, and he taught me the rubber dam in like two hours by his computer. Super gentleman, great educator. Um, and I was hooked, again, it's just like with the camera. Uh, and I went back, and I tried to take isolation to another level. Um, I have to say, I mean, I didn't realize how helpful it really is um, to do it at that level. Yeah. Um, it's like good photography, right? Like how easy is lab communication when you know how to take great pictures? Mm -hmm. um, but I always thought like, oh, as long as the dam's on, but now understanding bonding differently and, and better than I did coming out of dental school, I really appreciate the intricacies of a rubber dam, how it's isolated. And, you know, Amanda and I do teach a course on isolation and I, I mean, I tell everyone, if my veneers fail, I promise it's not going to be from my bonding protocol now. No mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I have a patient coming in. I just looked at my schedule because I'm at the office Monday. Um, and it said one of your fillings popped out that I did like six months ago. I go, I guarantee you it's the tooth behind it. Because right. I know how I bonded it. There's right. no way the filling is out of our mouth. There's some outstanding clinicians on, on social media doing some crazy rubber dam stuff. It's, it's yeah. pretty amazing. Yeah, pretty sexy these days. That's kind yeah. of it's hard to believe the rubber dam is sexy. I know, right? That yeah. color blue, it just opens my eyes now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> With the orange floss, it's pretty, pretty, pretty awesome. Yeah. All right. I want to talk about the uh, the courses that you're doing with Amanda. You guys are doing some really great stuff. Thank talk you. to me about the courses that you guys are doing. What what participants would expect to learn from your courses? Yeah. So when Amanda and I put this together, we, you know, our main focus was A, we want to be authentic and real. Um we don't want it to be a one company infomercial, although we have a lot of companies that help us, which is amazing. Uh, you know, we bought all of our instruments 
to that we use in our office and we made our own kits and so on and so forth now we do have you know companies like brassler donates a, a fur block to them that that amanda designed so we definitely have sponsorship don't get me wrong but we are not a you know when they come like the class four course we had this weekend they try five different composites mm -hmm. from five different companies and and we tell them listen it's not the arrow it's the archer yeah. and see how you like it you might not like the way it polishes you might not like the way it handles you can mix and match i mean it's it's resin you can figure it out um so we always try to be as open and real as we could um we have right now uh four different courses uh our class four is called synthesis and we teach again four techniques we have a synthesis two which we do diastema closure and injection molding uh, with smile design incorporated into that we have kaleidoscope which is our two-day photography course and we have a course called nexus which on the first day we actually have rolando from bisco he does a full day on bonding to every substrate you could think of and then the second day is rubber dam isolation and cementation they'll cement inlays onlays veneers a six unit case all under ideal rubber dam um isolation and then we are actually in the process of developing a new course for next year which we're going to call blueprint and it's going to be prep and temp inlays onlays veneers crowns anterior posterior uh, and temporization techniques awesome that's great i know you guys have really done a great job influencing people and teaching i've heard great things from people who've taken your courses so keep up the great work that's Thanks. awesome if people wanted to reach out to you and learn more about these courses i know you're easily found on Instagram as, as is Amanda. Is that the best way to reach out to just uh, DM you if they want to learn more about the courses? They're welcome to do that. They can email me. My email is Adamo Elvis, the same as my Instagram name at Gmail. So I'm pretty easy to, to get a hold of. Everything about me is Adamo Elvis. My last name, you don't have to worry about pronouncing ever again. Thank goodness, I can pronounce Elvis. That's perfect. <laughs> uh, I have my website is AdamoElvis.com or our uh, courses with Amanda is impress with one S courses.com. Um, but yeah, DM, email, anything. Uh, I'm usually pretty quick to answer and, and be as helpful as I can. Perfect. We'll, we'll create a link on this sharecast So those can, those who are watching can easily find you. Not that you're not easy enough to find as it is, <laughs> but we'll make it even easier. Adamo, I cannot thank you enough for sharing your insights, your experience, I don't know where to leave off. You've really just given us so much great stuff today. And I'm so awesome. grateful. I, honestly, I'm so grateful that you, you really have just sort of been open and honest. You've shared your experiences and the challenges and stuff like that. And I can't thank you enough. I think this is really great for those who, who are going to watch this. They're going to understand that the journey to be able to do wonderful dentistry is not overnight. It's, it's a lifetime. It's a career. It's a profession. And you really just, you show that in spades. And I'm really grateful you spent this time with us today. Thank you so much. It was true. It was a pleasure. I had a great time. And anytime you want to chat again, I'm always here. All right. Adamo, thank you for joining us and for our dental online trainers. We look forward to seeing you at our next Sharecast and look forward to meeting you at our next courses. So thanks for joining us. And I look forward to seeing everybody soon. Adamo, thanks again. It's been great chatting with you today. Thank you.